0: Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, I just thank you for this moment, this time. We get to open up your word. We get to hear what you have to say. Lord, we get to hear your holy scriptures, your holy wisdom. We get to spend a moment with your spirit. So we ask that your spirit be with us all now. Continue to open our hearts to hear what you have for us, how to apply these words to our lives. Lord, I ask that you just put blinders on all of us, so that we're not worried about the things that are going on outside these four walls. We're not worried about what we have to do later today. We're not worried about the upcoming week, all the things that are going on. But for the next few moments, we can focus on you. So Lord, be with us, guide us, and take care of us in all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when you're in school... Every, you ask every person, you have your good classes, the ones you really like, and then there's ones that you despise, right? For whatever reason, that's just the one you hate. Growing up, right around fourth grade, I was going to this little private school, and they had this class, and they called it an etymology class, and I hated this class. The class was all about, you know, words and spellings, and what's the histories of the words and everything else and all And it was just, I hated it. And I hated it for one reason and one reason only. We always had to do these exams. You'd get this list of words, and they'd be simple words. And the the teacher would come over to you, and you'd have to read them, and then you would have to define that word. So you'd read, and you'd be like, Apple. Now, of course, I know what an apple is. I could picture an apple in my mind, and the teacher would say, Okay, what's the definition? What is an apple? And I'd be like, An apple. I don't know. It's an apple. I don't know how to explain it. It just is. Wrong. So then we get to the next word. Boat. Okay. What's a boat? It's a boat. You know, it's those things. Wrong. I could think of it. I could picture it. I could see it. I knew what it was. I could talk all day about them. But if you asked me to define it, to explain what it is, I just couldn't do it. It's part of my everyday, you know, vocabulary, but when you take a second, you got stumbled really quick. So as as Christians, you know, we, we struggle this as well, right? We have our own language. We have our own terminology. We use words. You know, we have grace. We have mercy. We have faith, hope, love, worship, fellowship, outreach, ministry, discipleship, so on, so forth. If we take a second we sit there and think about it, what does it mean to worship? And we're like, you know, it's what we just did, right? It's hard for us to explain things because we use it so frequently. Well, today we're going to be in Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're only going to be looking at three verses, verses 3 through 5. Paul's going to talk about three words. In fact, it's going to be faith, hope, and love. So today we're going to be spending some time, in, and that's what the three things we're going to be focusing on. What is faith? What is love? And what is hope? So join with me as I read Colossians. Again, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The word of the Lord says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. So the first word he says is, we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is one of those words. We say it all the time. You can have churches that are named faith. You can name your daughter faith. Faith, faith, faith. But what is faith? What does it mean to have faith? So as I started to study, I'm thinking, this is what we're going to do. I started opening up. I started opening up the dictionaries, the theological things, and everything else. And hold on, there went all my notes. Apologize. You know, is the seminary they tell you not to use technology. Uh, what do they know? All right, sorry about that. So, so I started looking up the word faith and all the dictionaries. Right? So you're looking up what is faith, and you read the definition, and you're like. That's just more confusing. I don't know what that means. And then you look at well, maybe this one will help. You're like, nope, that didn't help me at all. I have it's convoluted. What in the world does faith mean? But then, so what I ended up doing is I took a little bit from this dictionary, a little bit from here, a little there, a little there, and I came up with this definition for faith. Faith is believing in and staying faithful to someone. Faith is believing in and staying faithful to someone. Now, I mean, I know we're not supposed to define a word with a word, and I know that faithful and faith are pretty close, but just follow along. Give me a little leeway, please. So the first part, faith is believing. The first part of the definition, you know, it started to fall together when I started to look at in the Greek. So in Greek, when you see the word faith... You have the word pistis. You have the word pistis. So think about the woman with the issue of blood. She reaches out, she touches the hem of Christ's garment. She's healed. Jesus turns around and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your pistis has made you whole. But then there's another word in the same family, pistuo. This is the word that we translate as Believe. So John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes, whosoever pastuos. So you can see that you got the same family, pistis and pastuo. The only difference is the ending. One is a noun, one is a verb. Well, I got what believing means. I understand that one. That makes this a whole lot easier. So this is what, when we see this word faith, it is believing. But believing is not enough. James 2.19 tells us that the demons believe, they, pastuo, but it's not, you know, but they, and they tremble. Now obviously Paul's not telling us, hey, I'm thankful that you're like the demons, right? There's more to it. We have to put our faith in to action. I want us to think of a, of a wedding day. You think of a, the husband, you know, the, the bride, the groom, they come forward. They're gonna take their vows. They're gonna say their vows to each other. They're gonna sit, say, they're saying that they believe in each other. They're gonna dedicate themselves to each other. They're gonna stay faithful to each other. The wife looks to her husband and says, you know what? I have faith in you. I believe you will provide for me. I believe you will protect me. You will lead me. You will be the spiritual head of this house. And because of my belief in you, now I will submit to you. I will follow you. I will be with you through thick and thin. She's taking her belief, she's putting it into action. In the same way, the husband looks at his beautiful bride and he says, I have faith in you. I believe in you. I believe you're going to be a Proverbs 31 wife. That wisdom will flow from your mouth. That you will raise a godly home. That you will be my helpmate. And because of this belief, I will love you more than I love myself. I will hold fast to you. I will cherish you. I will love you as Christ loves the church, even to the point of offering my life for yours. They took their belief in each other, and they're living it out. True faith is living out your belief. This is why Habakkuk tells us that the righteous will live by faith. It's not just something that I have inside. It's not just something we have, but it's a, it's a faith, it's a belief, and it affects my actions. And James famously tells us that he will show us his faith by his works. And that a faith without works is dead. So it has to that faith has to go out. There's actions with it. But what do we have faith in? We go back to the text, it says, since we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we have to ask ourselves, which Jesus Christ? Do we have the faith in Jesus that was only a good teacher, like the liberal theologians? No. Do we have faith in Jesus who was just a prophet, like the Muslims say? No. Do we have faith in a Jesus that's just an offspring of a heavenly father and a mother, like the Mormons say? No. Do we have faith in a Jesus that was just a created archangel archangel like the Jehovah's Witnesses? No. We have faith in the Jesus Christ found in Scripture. Scripture tells us all about who Jesus is. They tell us this is the guy that we're to have our faith in. This is the Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. That in that Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells, Colossians 2.9. That he created all things, Colossians 1.15. Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself to become a man. Matthew 1 says he was born of a virgin. 2 Corinthians 5 says he was without sin. John the Baptist declared that he was a lamb who took away the sins of the world. Jesus says that after he's resurrected, he says, I have been given all authority. Psalms tells us that the nations are his inheritance. 1 Corinthians 15 says he has defeated death. Satan will soon be crushed. Isaiah says the government will be on his shoulders, and his kingdom will know no end. This is a mighty, mighty powerful Jesus. This is who we place our faith in. This is who we believe in. This is who we live out our belief towards. But how do we show our faith? We show faith by obeying His commands and following wherever He leads. We're saying that I know, I'm submitting to you, I believe in you, I have faith in you. Wherever that may lead me, I'm ready to go because I believe in you. I believe that you know what's best for me. Deuteronomy 18.9 tells us that we're not to follow the practices of other nations. We're supposed to pay attention to what His laws are, His commandments, His guidance. Follow that. Over here, it might be something shiny. It might be pretty. It might seem like it's a whole lot of fun. But God says, No, 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 no. We're going to do it this way. My way. And when we have faith in Christ, we're like, yes, sir, let's do this. I have faith. I believe. This gets us to the second word. The word is love, and of the love that you have for all the saints. You know, it's another word that we use all the time. It can be cheapened, right? I mean, I, I tell my wife and I tell Grace, I love them. I don't know how many times a day, right? We say, we say it, we say it all the time. But what does it mean to love? Because it's something that we have to get right. First John 4.8 tells us that if we do not love, then we do not know God. First John 3.14 says that if we do not love, then we abide in death. So love is something that's authentic to Christianity. It's authentic to Christians. It's something that we have to do. We have to get it right. So what is love? During this high holy month of blasphemous love here on TV and society, we're told that love... It's just a feeling, right? It's a flutter in our stomach. It's that you see somebody, somebody makes you feel a certain way, that must be love. Pursue that feeling, wherever that feeling may go. Whatever they do to make you feel good, that's love. But Scripture devi- defines love in the complete opposite way. Love is sacrificially giving for the benefit of others. So again, society is outwardly, make us feel, scripture says it's from us, and it goes out. First John 3.18 says that we are to love indeed and in truth. So there's actions. Romans 5.5 5 describes love as being poured out. It's coming out of us onto others. You know, as growing up, as DC Talk told us, love is a verb. It's an action. It's something that we have to go out and do towards others. This is why John 15:13 tells us that no greater love has no man than this and a man that lays down his life for his friends. It starts with us when we have love, and we sacrificially give to those out there. It's not what they can do to us. It's what we can do for them. That is love. But who do we love? Paul tells us that we have love for all the saints. I don't get to pick and choose. I don't say, hey, look, I'll love you because I like you, but you, good luck, buddy. We don't get to do this. We have to love all the saints. When Ariel and I were first married, we lived in Georgia for a short period of time. The local library had a Martin Luther King Jr., um, display exhibit. There's a word. They had an exhibit. And, and I was a young man and I knew who Martin Luther King Jr. was, but I didn't know a whole lot. So I said, this would be kind of cool. Let's go to the library. Let's go check it out. So I was there and I, I saw something and it stuck with me to this day. So when Rosa Parks, she's, when she's, refuses to go to the back of the bus and everybody just says, you know what? This, where there's all sorts of, you know, mayhem, everything else, everything's chaotic. Martin Luther King Jr. and the rest that were there, they decided, you know what? In Montgomery, then fine. If I can't be in the front of the bus, then I'm just not going to get on any bus. And there's a bus boycott. Which, that's easy if you got a car, right? Because you can still get to work. But if you didn't have a car, now what are you going to do? It's, that's a big sacrifice, right? But then, as a community, they would say, hey, look, man, i got a car. I'll be at your house at 5 o'clock. I'll be yours at 5.15, 5.30, 5.45. I'll pick you all up. We'll take you to work. And then on the way home, we'll be you all back home at, from work. They sacrificed. It'd been easy just to be like, i got to be at 9 o'clock. I'm going to leave at 8.30 and I'll be there. But they sacrificed. they get up early. It didn't matter who the person was. They did it for everybody. In the same way, they started... Making sandwiches and food for everybody, right? Somebody would bring bread, somebody would bring meat, somebody would bring other things. And they would sit there and make food and they would just start handing it out. There was not a, well, I'll love you, but you know what? You were kind of mean to me last week, so I'm not going to give you a sandwich, right? There was no, you didn't have to earn anything. It was just love. Sacrificing. This is an example of sacrificing yourself for everyone. So how do we love? So we know who to love, but how do we love? So, Pastor actually talked about this last week in his sermon. So remember last the last sermon, everybody went on a bear hunt, right? So we talked. <laughs> so, well, we all went on a bear hunt, and we talked about, and we're in Ephesians four, and we talked about this chiasm, right? This this idea of, of helping us focus. You have your A section here, and another A section on the end. And then a B section and a B section, a C, a C, and the main, main point. Well, as he was describing and everything, and he brought up section number two. So you got A section, A section, B, B. In the B section, he points out what it means to love. Ephesians 4:2 says that we're to bear be bearing with one another in love. This is sacrificially loving for others. Physical and material needs. You know, Acts two forty five says that the early church were selling all of the, were selling their possessions and giving the money to those in need. Now, this is not some form of socialism or communism or some other scary word ism. It is just brothers and sisters in Christ saying, "You know what? I see that you have an issue, a problem. You need some help." I have a little bit extra. I'm going to go sell this stuff over here and here. Take this money. You got, I, I got? I've got your back. It's not some government coming in and telling us that we have to do it. It's not the church demanding it or anything else. It's just brothers and sisters loving each other, sacrificing for each other, bearing each other's burdens. So that's the first section of B. But then there's the second section. Ephesians 4.15 4, says that we need to speak truth In love. This is sacrificially loving for everyone's spiritual needs. So Matthew tells us when we see a brother in sin that we're going supposed to go to him to help restore him. You know, we're also told that we're supposed to pray for one another. We're not not in this by ourselves. We're not in a Christian walk by ourselves, but we're a community. And so we may be going along and we see seeing somebody that's just struggling. And we say, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to sacrifice my, you know, I'm going to spend some time praying for you. But I'm also going to sacrifice in another way so that I can make sure that you're going to be taken care of spiritually. I heard a testimony of a man who'd been sober for over a decade. And he was giving his testimony. He said, it's all to the glory of God. But he said, I would not be here today, I would not be sober. If it wasn't for five very special men in his church. See, he'd been gone. He'd, he he'd tried to kick the habit of alcohol. He, he tried to kick it. He'd go to rehab. He'd do these things. He'd all the special programs and nothing ever worked. But then one day these five men get together and they approach him and he says, you know what? We've decided you've drank your last glass of alcohol. You've, you've tasted your last drop and we're going to make sure of it. We're going to help you out. And he said that in the beginning, what that meant was twenty-four hours a day, one of those five men was with him. They actually went to his job. They went to his HR department and says, "I know that my check is supposed to be deposited in this account. I need you to deposit in this guy's account. I cannot see a dollar of my paycheck." Now he says the, the man has given his his, his uh, testimony. He says, "I know that that's a sacrifice." Oh, it would have been easy for them to say, hey, look, man, I'll just keep praying for you. And then that night, they just go and watch their TV show. They're hanging out with the kids, they're barbecuing the grill, and they're whatever. They're going about their merry way. But no, these five men said, "Nope, that's not good enough. We're going to do what it takes. They sacrificially loved that man to take care of his spiritual needs. This is what love is. This is how we're supposed to love, and we're supposed to love all the saints in this way. So when we go out and we're seeing someone that's struggling, it may not be easy for us. We may have to sacrifice a lot. But this is what we're called to do. This gets us now to the third, to the third word. Hope. Verse 5 says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So with hope, hope is confidently expecting a future event. Confidently expecting a future event. Another dictionary says that we're to anticipate with pleasure. Romans 12.12 says that we rejoice in hope. So this is way more than just wishful thinking. This is saying, you know what? There is this future event that's going to happen. I'm banking on it. I know it's going to happen. My whole life is pointed toward that toward that event and I anticipate it with pleasure. I saw a video not too long ago. Is it, you had a group of guys are hanging around. They're in a poker room. They're dealing out, you know, playing uh, some playing some poker, this kind of thing and Hands are dealt, everything's going. And at one point, the guy there's a guy here on the end of the table. He says, you know what? I'm all in. He says, but not only am I all in, but I'm about to miss my airplane. I know I'm going to win this hand. So when I do, just cash me out. You guys can keep all the chip. Just call me and I'll tell you where to send the money. And he walked right out that door. And he did win the hand. He knew exactly what the outcome was. He won. He was confident about this future event. He knew what was going to happen. He had this hope. He bet it all, and he, because he knew what was going to happen, it didn't matter. He didn't even have to be there because he knew what the end was going to be. This is what hope is. This is confident, this confidently expecting a future event. But what do we have hope in? We have hope in eternally living in heaven with God. We have hope in eternally living in heaven with God. Now, I know that Paul here he says that our hope is laid up for you in heaven, but this is a this is a bit of a shorthand because Titus three seven says that we it speaks of the hope of eternal life, so eternally living, but it's not just about eternal life. Because the Hindus believe in living eternally. But they're not Christian. They're not having the same hope we have. They don't have this hope. And as I say, Colossians 1.5 says he spoke of this hope that's laid up in heaven. You know, heaven is a place of no more pain, no more stress, no anxiety. But we're not putting hope in a really nice vacation. You know, heaven is not just some resort to get away from the problems of the world. That's not what hope is. Acts 24.15 says that we have hope in God. And this is the culmination of everything. This future event is not just that we get to live eternally. This future event is not just that we get to live in heaven, but it's that we live eternally. We live in heaven, and we live with God. And this is our future. This is what we're banking on. We go all in, put in all of our chips towards because we know this is Our future. Now here's an interesting thing about hope. In the Greek, the word hope is elpis. And it occurs about 53 times in the New Testament, and it happens in almost all of the books of the New Testament, except for the Gospels. The word hope is not in Matthew, not in Mark, not in Luke, not in John. The very first time you have the word hope is at, on Acts 2 in Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Peter's sitting there going, talking about the risen Savior. Jesus, yes, you killed him, but that tomb is empty. And now he says, now my flesh will dwell in hope. Our hope is because of that cross. Before the cross, there is no hope. Without the cross, there is no hope. There's no guarantee. There's no confidence of anything. But because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, now we have hope. We have this hope of living eternally in heaven with God. But how do we live out our hope? Like, okay, I got it. I'm supposed to look towards heaven. This is the ultimate goal. All my chips are in. But how do I live out that hope? We have to be forward thinking. What that means is that our hope is not on this earth. I don't put my hope in the stock market. I don't put my hope in a job promotion. I don't put my hope in a long and healthy life. That's not my hope. I don't lay up treasures here on earth where moths and rust are going to tear them up and destroy them. But my hope and my treasures, they are laid up in heaven. So it's okay when the stock market tanks and my... 401K disappears, my retirement's gone. It's okay, because that's not my hope. It's okay if I don't get that job promotion. It's even okay if I get demoted, because that job, that's not my hope. My hope is in heaven. It's okay if I get sick. It's a, it, it just is. Because again, we live in a broken world, and my hope is not here. My hope is in heaven. But it's also okay if our brothers and our sisters in Christ, if they come down with cancer or Alzheimer's or some other incurable disease. It's okay. Maybe God heals them. Maybe God gives them a little bit more time to do His work here on earth. But maybe they just get to experience that hope just a little sooner than the rest of us. And it's okay. But this kind of living is its a unique living. It's a different kind of living. It's its weird to the world. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we're to be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for that hope that is in us. Now, I, I, when I hear these words, and I've heard this verse all the time, we're always saying, see, this means you've got to be ready to give the gospel. You've got to be ready to tell them your testimony. This is what you need to do. And that's true, yes. But he's, but pay attention to how the whole verse goes. You're living out your hope to such a degree that your unbelieving neighbor comes up to you and says, whoa, 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 time out. You gotta talk to me about this. I don't understand that at all. It makes no sense. So the world just heard on the news. The what, you know, what do they tell you? Oh, the Dow Jones, it's done this today. Oh, it's went down this today. Oh well. My hope is not in Dow Jones. They say, Oh, did you hear about what happened in Washington? Did you hear about the politicians? And yet yeah, I say, I don't know. My hope is not in Washington DC. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Right? I don't have to live by all the threats and the worries and the anxieties of the world. Everything that everybody's getting all wrapped up in. I don't have to worry about those because my hope is not in those things. My hope is in eternal life. And I'm going to live that out to such a degree People are going to notice, and they're going to say, hey, man, you've got to talk to me about that. And at that moment, then I can share the gospel, and I can give them the reason for that hope, that hope that because of that cross, I can now look forward to eternity with God. So this week I gave Miss Anita the what was this passage. I gave it all. I did everything. And then she sent me an email back, and she goes, but what about a title? And I'll be honest, I hadn't thought about a title at all. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm like, I'm all the way to the end. I'm like, what are we, what do we do? What do we do? What is a title? And as I sit there and I thought about it, and I thought about it more and more and more, I came with the idea of authentic Christianity. Because when we have faith to be a Christian, we're supposed to have faith. We're supposed to live out that faith. This faith in Jesus Christ. As a Christian, I'm supposed to love. I'm supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We're supposed to love all the saints. We're even supposed to love our enemies. I mean, so there's nobody gets outside of this circle of who we're supposed to love. This is what Christians do. And as Christians, we're supposed to look forward to the promise of eternal life in heaven with God. This hope of our salvation. The hope of the gospel. So this is what it means to be authentic. is to have faith to show love, to, to live out our hope. So I'm going to challenge you this week to think about your faith. Think about who you love. Think about that hope. Let it be on our minds and let us start to rethink about and push forward of how I could live out that faith more, how I could be more loving, and how I could live out that hope to such a degree that my neighbor comes over and says, hey man, let's talk. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for sending your son to come and be born of a virgin. That he that was without sin became sin for us when he was nailed to that cross. That he became the propitiation for our sins. That he absorbed your wrath, my punishment, he took on himself. Because of that, we now have faith in him. We believe in him, we follow him, and we believe him when he says, and we have the hope, and this we anticipate with pleasure our eternal living with you. Our hope is not here in this world, but our hope is forward. So continually remind us this week as we go about. Continue to remind us of where our shortcomings are and how we can show our faith better, how we can live out our love, and how we can live out our Continue to be with us, guide us, and take care of us. In Jesus' name we pray.